highway to the danger zone. In honor of Top Gun Maverick, what cinema's most notable shoe? Ugh. I'm Katie Rich, and I'm going with Keenan Ivory Wayans' Goldfish platform shoes, and I'm going to get you, sucker, which I know have been parodied in other movies, and I feel like it should be Austin Powers, or I don't know for sure, but I have seen those Goldfish shoes a bunch. How can those shoes be parodied when the I'm going to get you sucker is parody? Well, I think they are. A, I think it is a parody of shoes that like allegedly existed in the 70s. Yes. So like maybe it's like some Studio 54 parody that I'm trying to think of. But uh, there's an entire extended scene of him walking down the sidewalk in them and people laughing at him, uh, including like an entire like uh, street band. So that, are, that seems like the winner. They are amazing shoes. I'm Matt Patches. I'm going to have to go with that little adorable shoe that dies in Roger Rabbit. That poor shoe. Dripped, uh, dropped dripped. into the dip. Oh, the dip. Such a scarring scene of my memory. And I'm Dave with the Seven, and I'm going to go with the self-lacing Nikes from Back to the Future Part 2. And I've occasionally been tempted to, you know, buy the super expensive official ones, like which they're like, what, 50 or something? Haven't yet. Uh, but I would like I would like them, please. Did you say they're $50? <laughs> no, 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 like, like 50 made. I think there's only 50 made, oh, 50 pairs made like, of the official $50, ones. $50, like, do it. Just, just go, go buy some Nikes, yeah. No, I wish. If they're $50, I would, that's the only shoe I would wear. <laughs> Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine, too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's awesome. Podcast. Hello, and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 393. It's pandemic 114. It's the week of Wednesday, May 25th. That's the day that in 1878, Gilbert and Sullivan's HMS Pinafore premiered. Dave, I truly never know what you're going to pick. I just never know. It's a joy every time. <laughs> Not my favorite, uh, Gilbert I've... and Sullivan. Should be known. I think what this is also Aaron the Sorkin official. Here? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it's also the official date of the Protestant uh, Reformation, uh, the rebuking of Martin Luther. But Ooh. HMS Pinafore, much better. I mean, Martin Luther, he had his points. Uh, we're uh, we're not with David right now, but you will hear from him later. Uh, but Bill, for now, it's Dave's job to tell me. Do we have any reviews? We do. We have a review uh, on the iTunes, which you could leave us on the podcast app or on iTunes on your computer. It's uh, from RKJCNE, all caps, maybe an acronym, uh, but it's five stars. Great show. I pulled my act together and rated the show so as not to hear about another Star War. Woo. My two cents for the conversation about streamers not creating stars is that Paul Meskel and Daisy Edgar Jones are the two best chances yet for this type kind of crossover? Who are they? Both have kid. What? Both oh, have hang continued- on. Let, let Dave finish, and I'm going to say something <laughs> okay. about this. Great, great. Both have continued to pick interesting roles in which their charisma shines through, oh. and given Timothy Chalamet and Emma Stone type roles, respectively, I could see them knocking it outside the park. Are these the, the are the two from um, the Rooney adaptation on Hulu? What's it called? Uh, yeah, the normal people. People. The normal people. People. Oh, they're hot. Great. Yeah, sure. Oh, I thought you were being sarcastic. No, the thing no. about Paul Meskel, and we'll probably hear David talk about it in a minute in his can dispatch, is that he had two movies at can, one of which has been picked up by A24. So I feel, and she's going to be in Where the Crawdads Sing this summer. I feel like they're both actually in, in a good spot. Yeah. Isn't she in under, is she's the Mormon She's girl under the banner of, of heaven. Of heaven. Yeah. Right? Uh, I, you edited an interview that I did with her. 
yeah horrendous I, I audio that. entirely because of me um yeah she uh, she's good she's it's a small part but she's good in that too uh, and then our email is just titled book recommendation, which we will take at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com or your international reviews if you are listening internationally. This one comes from Keeley, who says, Hi, I finished listening, uh, listening to a book you might all enjoy for a book club right before listening to your episode asking for recommendations. The Book of Accidents by Chuck Wendig is oh, a yeah. multiversal horror book that I really enjoyed. I don't read horror normally, but I do read mostly speculative fiction. FYI, nonfiction is read by more, uh, read more by everyone, but fiction sales have risen during the pandemic. Thanks for the podcast episodes. Huh. Wait, more people read nonfiction than fiction? Nonfiction is read more by everyone, but yeah. fiction sales have risen during the pandemic. But read more, like, I can't figure out, like, nonfiction is more gender balanced it's, or like more people read yeah. nonfiction than fiction? More Probably. people read nonfiction than fiction. Probably I both of those things. Saying. Yes. Okay, that makes sense. But yeah, more it was. Are also uh, more people are also reading fiction, and uh, nice. soon maybe a book club for men. TBD uh, for fighting in the <laughs> book world. club for men. At least at least one discussion of books <laughs> for men and also me for men. What we need to get uh, men reading. That's gonna be our know. thing. This is our mission. We we spent ten years talking about movies and meh, we didn't we kind of failed That's on that right. book. But another ten years, we're not the most important read novels. Yeah, we're not the most important movie podcast, but we might be the most important book club for a men. club for men. <laughs> we could be. We got a chance. Excellent. A club clubs for men. Uh, traditionally, very very popular. Work out great. No problems. Yeah. Exactly. Uh. So you could, once again, leave us an email and we will read it on the podcast. If you leave it on the Apple Podcast app, we like that algorithm best. Helps people find us. Or internationally, book club reviews, other comments, fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. That, that does it for me this week. Yeah, I suppose now we should uh, introduce David's uh, dispatch from Cannes, which uh, none of us have listened to yet. Uh, and uh, But I assume he didn't introduce himself. So let's say... Uh, hey David, <laughs> tell us about Can. But first, a music break. You the cooling man, you send you up. Reason cooling, nights and nine twos oh. All right. Hey guys, it's your boy. Uh, I got some bad news, and that is that I have not yet taken Ambien, which longtime listeners of Fighting in the War Room will know is tradition for my film festival dispatches uh, that I record on my own, sitting in a sad hotel bedroom somewhere. Um, but I'd say that the current state of my shriveled brain is equivalent to being on Ambien, considering how fucking tired I am. Uh, it is Monday night on whatever day that we could, whatever uh, day it is in Cannes, May something or other, and it is usually around the time that I am suddenly very ready to go home, and my body is failing in every which way, and that is more or less where we are. But there's still, still a little ways to go, and a few more movies to see, and somehow more words to write. Um, and uh, I'm just going to have to live with that. But uh, yeah, I'm here in France, Cannes. We're back. Uh, I feel like I was just here. 
Cannes last year, for those of you who didn't know or don't remember, was in July as opposed to his usual May date because of the pandemic, which you may have heard about. Um, and so I was here about 10 months ago, which may not seem all that different from coming here on an annual basis every May, but really does feel like I never left, um, if not for my toddler getting 10 months older, I probably wouldn't have noticed. Um, but that is a whole different road to go down and all of my various techniques of trying to find some peace with being away from for 12 days. Uh, I came up with a little, I mean, okay, maybe we'll go down that road. I came up with a pretty good one. Um, obviously more for me than for him, but Asa currently obsessed with time or numbers and like the way that they are presented in forms of, of representing of representing time. Doesn't understand the concept of time, but is fascinated by clocks. Uh, and so to kill two birds with one stone and partially sort of get him on board with the concept of days, but mostly to have a way of counting down to my return, I made a little post-it sign that said days until data comes back. And then under that were tear-off post-its with 12, 11, 10. And so every morning uh, in New York, he FaceTimes me with a new post-it number and he says, five days until data comes back and then four days until data comes back. I don't know if, if he knows what it means, but... I'm assuming, thinking, hoping, gleaning that he is uh, recognizing that the numbers are getting smaller every subsequent day and that it is building to something. So um, we got that. Anyway, movies. Uh, can What a festival. I had, whether logically or not, kind of assumed for a while that this was going to be a bit of an off year for Cannes just because last year was such an embarrassment of riches since the 2019 edition was, or the 2020 edition was canceled. Um, and then this year is sort of suffering from uh, the whole you know state of the, the film industry around the world, uh, suffering from uh, supply chain issues and production flow issues and shooting issues and all those things uh, that while the volume of films at Cannes this year is as robust as it was last year just about, uh, I think that the festival may have had slightly less to choose from. The filmmakers may have been impaired. Um, and Cannes isn't really big on COVID movies. They don't have, a, a, you know, veritably an entire sidebar dedicated to them like Sundance has. And certainly they're not doing the, the view from home thing. Um, but that being said, I feel like every year towards the first week in a can, it feels like an off year. And then by the end of it, it's another another strong showing. I think this year may be less so, just a tad, but things are picking up. Uh, at the time that I'm recording this, um, the press screening of Park Chan-wook's absolutely exhilarating uh, decision to leave, his first movie since The Handmaiden 2016 has gotten out. Uh, decision to leave is a deceptively straightforward detective procedural about um, a very white collar married wife in the suburbs uh, who he only sees on the weekends detective who become begins to obsess over a uh, Chinese born Korean murder suspect whose husband fell off the top of a mountain and may have been pushed and about the relationship that develops from there um, before eventually spinning it off into what I found surprisingly, given the nature of the movie and how the, the circuitous route it takes to get there, a really moving sort of meditation on the things we take with us, the things we leave behind, in particular our affections for other people. Uh, a really, really solid comeback for a guy who I really hate to see working in television. Um, 
as he made his little drummer girl series and is now making something with Robert Downey Jr. called The Sympathizer. I really wish he wouldn't. Uh, but um, And then later tonight is David Cronenberg's new film, Crimes of the Future, which I was lucky enough to see in New York before I came here and is a real thinker. Um, I wasn't so sure what I felt about it back when I saw it, but it has grown... It's grown on me. It has grown in me like a new organ that the National uh, Organ Registry run by Kristen Stewart uh, needs to catalog. Uh, but a, a very sweet film, a meditation on you know the, the virtue of art and reality and the future, the, the, the finding hope and acceptance in a world that doesn't seem to have much of a future, uh, particularly in the face of climate change. It's a David Cronenberg film about it's his X-Men in a way, in a very sedate Jim Jarmuschian way, uh, meditation on the next evolution of humankind and what kind of form that will take. And that is coming out on June 3rd, and you can see it for yourself very shortly. But I will say it does help to know going into that movie that it is kind of more of a vibe than a more... Mm, a complete might be the wrong word, but a more uh, robust experience and... It's really just a smorgasbord of things to sort of sit with and um, a playground for David Cronenberg to uh, play around with with bodies that can feel no pain. It's set in a world where this is sort of vaguely described. Bodies no longer really feel pain or by for, or by contrast, pleasure. Um, and that allows somebody like David Cronenberg to really have a field day. And he does. Turned out to be a big fan of that. Another film I was a huge fan of was James Gray's film, Armageddon Time, uh, which was uh, and is and will continue to be in our uh, autobiographical meditation in vogue right now. And you see it sort of like in Roma. It is sort of the Jewish-American Belfast, but it being very Jewish-American and set in Queens in the early 1980s, um, intensely anti-sentimental um, or unsentimental. I don't know if it's hostile. I don't know if it's anti-sentimental, but uh, and um, absolutely lathered in guilt. There will be some discourse around this. I don't really feel like getting into it right now. Um, I know where I stand, but I am looking forward to seeing how that conversation evolves. I think it'll be an interesting one, but um, Anthony Hopkins essentially playing my grandfather uh, certainly struck a chord with me. Um, and I really found a beautiful James Gray, increasingly hit for me, sometimes missed, took me a little while to get on board with him. Uh, I swooned hard for Ad Astra. This is definitely a return to the more intimate New York stories that he was making back in the days of Little Odessa um, and uh, Two Lovers. But beautiful focus feature is going to put out in the fall, presumably after the New York Film Festival. Uh, it'll be in theaters for 17 days, as all their movies are, if they don't crack a certain amount of money, which this won't. It's going to make $12, and then it's going to be streaming. But uh, you'll be hearing about it later, even if it sort of becomes noted for flopping at the box office and not making good on its Oscar buzz. Fuck it. It's a James Gray movie. It is, uh, should not be determined on those metrics. Um, and uh, a couple other things to shout out as I continue going through this whole thing of just sort of itemizing movies here, which is always the least interesting way of doing this. I'm very sorry. I'm doing everything in my power to delay writing about one particular movie that I am not allowed to talk about yet, I don't think. But boy, did I not like it. Um, uh, Christian Munju, who made four weeks, four months, three weeks, and two days, a film that always, unfortunately, is back in the news. Um, has returned with his first film in a long time since graduation called RMN, uh, which I hope slash assume is going to be retitled. Not worth going into the nature of the title, but um, 
uh, actually sort of a hard movie to monologue about, but it's a Romanian film, a uh, social thriller about the EU and uh, migration and xenophobia and um, really erupts in interesting ways. And that'll be a big festival favorite. I'm sure you'll hear about later this year. Um, and the new George Miller film, his first film since Fury Road, screened here, 3,000 Years of Longing, uh, which stars, as all movies should, Idris Elba as an ancient genie or djinn who is released from his bottle by a narratologist played by Tilda Swinton in the Istanbul hotel room where Agatha Christie supposedly wrote Murder on the Orient Express. And uh, it, it is another film similar to the decision to leave that seems to be sort of doing its own thing, um, not always entirely successfully, as the djinn relates his story, sort of history of how he got here, and then by the end somehow becomes, I found, very affecting and sweet. Um, a lot of these movies, particularly ones that don't seem to be all that interested in being sweet, have sort of wound up in that direction. Um, it's true of the new Mia Hansen love film, One Fine Morning, uh, and a couple others, but... We can get into the nitty-gritty of all these films later on. I should say, before I stop rattling off films, that my very favorite film of the festival so far, so far is a very tiny movie that is playing in the Critics Week sidebar, which is sort of the, the third tier of sidebars down. Um, no disrespect to the movies. I mean, every so often you get a real gem, as is the case here. Uh, it's called After Sun by a filmmaker named Charlie Wells, or Charlotte Wells. Uh, it's her first movie. It's produced by Pastel, which is Barry Jenkins and Adela Romanski's company. And it has a real strong Lost in Translation vibe. If Lost in Translation were a movie about a father and his 11-year-old daughter, if you, you can put some somewhere vibes into that as well, uh, going on a trip to Turkey in the late 90s. And it's mostly seen through... I mean, the framing device is a sort of mini-DV home video footage. Um, most of the movie is shot more conventionally, but it's all very oblique and elliptical. Paul Mescal plays the father of normal people fame. Uh, and it, it's just sort of seen through the eyes of this girl who is now in present times a, a woman um, looking back at her father and trying to sort of fill in the gaps that he left behind. I mean, it's his, what happened to him is unclear. Um, but the emotional arc I found very similar to Lost in Translation, if also a bit more downbeat, but similarly affecting. Um, I think that movie is definitely going to be picked up soon by by an A24 or you know similar, and uh, will make its way stateside before not too long. What what else is going on about Cannes? Tom Cruise was here. They did a absolutely fucking horrifying flyover of the Quasette. The other day, uh, when I was eating lunch, and uh, the the planes, they, the jet fighters, they flew over the Palais. Don't you don't hear them until they're almost right over your head, and the sound lasts just long enough for you to be able to process what sounds like your imminent death, um, and not long enough for you to do anything about it other than like jerk towards the floor. Uh, and they were kind enough to buzz us several times. Um, only would have felt better about it had it been revealed that Tom Cruise was actually piloting one of the planes himself, uh, lest I heard he was not. But uh, Tom Cruise Maverick, uh, Tom Cruise Maverick, I mean, that is more or less what the movie should be called and is an accurate, accurate representation of what it is. But Top Gun Maverick did play here, is excellent, and I, uh, I highly recommend that you all go see it. This weekend, um, really, 
the best action movie of its kind that I've seen since Fallout. I wonder what those movies have in common. I don't know if the gang has talked about it on Fitware yet. I have not listened to the most recent episode. Um, Sith Holocron, Holocron, Sith Holocron, is that the code word? Uh, but um, all of those are my two cents on that. Otherwise, I mean, I, I don't get a lot of color from the festival just because I spend my mornings, you know, I wake up at 6.45 or 7, I go and have, I go to my favorite patisserie and have uh, two little sugar-covered brioches that are made fresh by this very old couple who have been here the five years I've been coming here. They've lost a dog in the process who I mourn every year, but uh, I have my Americano and it's delightful. I go see a movie or two at 8.30 and then I'm in my room writing all day um, until, you know, maybe pop out for dinner at 10 and go to a party at midnight. The Crimes of the Future party is adjacent to where I'm staying. It starts at literally midnight. I have a movie early tomorrow morning. It is absolutely masochistic to go, uh, especially because those parties at this point in the festival are all people you've talked to before and then maybe like Leia Sido walks by, which I guess is reason enough to go. Um, but uh, maybe I'll just stop by, whatever, when and can. Um I feel like I've gained probably about five pounds since I've gotten here. I miss my son something fierce. Um, Good to feel like the movies are back. Does feel like this fall and especially next year is going to be a real bumper crop of of new and exciting things and that this year just had a little bit less to choose from but still uh, exciting films. There's a Dardenne Brothers movie to come. There is a Claire Denis movie to come. There is unfortunately a movie that I'm going to miss, going to be flying home when it screens by Hirokazu Koreeda, one of my favorites uh, to come, which uh, I'm just so bummed out about not being here to see. But I suppose if you think long and hard about it, there are bigger problems in the world, although I am hard-pressed to name what they may be. Um, and there is a film from everyone's favorite filmmaker, not the not at all controversial Lucas Don't, whose girl uh, premiered here a few years ago and caused quite a hubbub in the United States. He has a film in competition now called Close, um, which has been rumored to be a big Pomodoro contender all week long, even though no critics have actually seen it yet. I hear that it is a very, very well done but manipulative melodrama, which I suppose sounds par for the course for him. Um, and we will see. And then I'll be home, and uh, it'll be like this all never happened. But... Um, yeah, man, can. Anything else to say before you can move on with the show? Uh, don't really know. I mean, I guess just as sort of a closing thought, it's it's wild to see the market here when I walk through it and they have the Marche du Film and you see just the various representatives from all the buyers and sales companies and production companies throughout the world and are reminded just at the the vastness of the film industry. And that includes, you know, so many places that it still hasn't really penetrated um, on the scale that it would be involved in Marche du Film. I mean, in Africa and Latin America, because of COVID shutdowns, is actually still sort of sitting this Marche out. So that's, a, in South America, that's a huge audience that isn't being served right now. But um, there are, and then of course, there are, you know, not really a Russian delegation here, uh, but there is... It's just such a wide world. There's so many territories to sell these movies to. There are so many movies being made that really never make it into our uh, ecosphere. Um, and I don't really have a salient point or anything that I'm building towards saying that. But it is uh, when we talk about movies being hits and flops. And I mean, yes, you can 
glean a certain amount of information from looking at its worldwide grosses. But what a vast web this uh, this business is. Um, a holy spider, if you will, a reference to another can movie that I don't really feel like going into right now. Uh, yeah, so that was my 17 minutes and change on can. Uh, hopefully I have something to write home about, um, about some of the other movies that are still outstanding and waiting to see. Um, and you'll hear a little bit more about some of these movies later this year. But this is uh, me, your man in France, signing off. Have a good one. Bye-bye. week's episode in which we talked about random nonsense and people seem to like which thank you uh especially to everyone who's just been recommending us things via email and via uh, twitter uh we want to hear you on all these things i have two topics to present for discussion two uh they're both kind of silly the first one inspired by a series of concerts played in my city of durham north carolina last weekend by the band sylvanesso who live in durham north carolina who what is this band why did i see multiple people tweeting about this band I've never heard of this because band. they played three nights in the middle of Durham and they're great. Uh, they I like them a lot. I, or do they rock? Uh, I wrote about them <laughs> for <laughs> vanity fair, uh, <laughs> dot com last wow. fall. So you could read that article. If you Google my name and their name, uh, together. Shameless. Um, so they played in the middle of downtown Durham on the baseball field where bull Durham was filmed. Like if you see in the opening of bull Durham or Susan Saran and walk to the field, like that is where it was. It's not. Wait a second. Bill Durham is named after Durham. You mean Bull Durham, not I Bill Durham, not. who <laughs> might be a person? I have not seen Bull Durham. Sorry. And I did. Did I Bull say Durham. Bill Durham? I said Bull you Durham. You said Bill Durham. Also- um, it is. Yeah, it's filmed in Durham, like long before I moved here. But yeah, Bull Durham is about the Durham Bulls, which is the baseball team that's still here. Why did I think it was and about a man named Bull Durham? Sorry, I keep interrupting, but I'm learning a lot. here. Yeah. Uh, so they <laughs> played the show at the baseball field in the middle of town and had the stage set up and like you could go stand outside the fence and watch the show. There wasn't like any like fencing or anything. So it was this very democratic, like wonderful thing, but it was loud. You could hear it everywhere and you could hear it in my neighborhood, which is close enough to downtown to hear it, but not close enough generally to hear noise. Like we'll hear car noise. We'll hear it. Like there's kids who like ride modified four wheelers or like dirt bikes around and we hear those motors, but like concert noise is pretty unusual. And people in my neighborhood went fucking crazy. They were emailing the band's manager. They've been emailing city council. And a lot of people defended them like it was not everyone in my neighborhood. But there was definitely this sense of like, we cannot abide this. (laughs) I think that this is part of the price you pay for living in a city. If you want complete silence, you can go out and live in the woods. My question for you guys is what is tolerable noise within your home from the outside world? And what is something that you would get up in arms and email someone or even just complain to the neighborhood listener about? Is Durham a city? Yes, Durham is a city. You know, a patches. city can have a I city can have twenty thousand people. I thought Durham in. was more of like a, a flat town, more of like a giant is, suburb that has a town. Durham square. is a, <clears throat> no. This is the thing. <coughs> you live in a giant suburb with a town. What square. is the How highest about that? building in Durham? Is there we talking? <coughs> I just said like, we won't. We, <coughs> probably like twenty stories high. We want people uh, <laughs> right, from North Carolina to listen to us. Patches, so I'm, like I'm causing Katie are, to die.
You were on a yeah. You were on a slippery slope when you're like, do they rock or do they slap? Like less of those comments. <laughs> How have I transformed I'm, to the elderly dad over like just? I'm sending you a picture of the Durham skyline. I'm asking. The wrong I think it's you need here. you need to spend more time with your poly polygon staff members. No, they no, were really keeping I, you young. I was about to say I've been gone, so I've now become yeah, elder. You're completely untethered. Outside, yeah, I'm outside the bubble right now. I need to get back to my Gen Z. Um, yeah, I, this is an interesting question because I do think it. You know, we're all we've all spent our time in New York, and I don't think any amount of noise would be call the police worthy in New York, right? Like it, the city atmosphere has something to do with it. You expect to be on top of each other, and then as you slowly get away from the city center, your expectations might change. People move out to the country for the quiet, and then the suburbs is somewhere in between. I think the suburbs for me is is like a certain time at night. If something is loud after midnight. I'm starting to be a little suspect in the burbs. Now, I live close to Newark, New Jersey, so, like, the city can kind of infiltrate my burbs and kind of brush against it, so I'm, I don't overthink what, what it What kind too of much. noise would you typically hear from Newark? Maybe, like, a, a super loud car or, like, a bunch of kids okay. walking around and be like, why are, like, a random, what random night, you know, not very often, but um, if we're talking, like, my next door neighbors are having a backyard concert. My I have friends who just had like a salon night in the back of their apartment in New well, York. Well then. Can you imagine <laughs> if that happened in your neighborhood? Like it'd be cool if you what were into it. What does a salon it. night mean? If you're like, into is it like it, six people hanging out? No, it's like forty people in the backyard listening to different acts until probably two AM. Oh yeah. And I saw that, that. I mean, and, I'm, the- and now I'm like between city and herb person because I was like, how late did this go? Uh, like how loud <laughs> did it get? What did they check it? Like what radius beyond your apartment do you have to check in if you're holding salon night? Um, and yet I have yeah, a, that's a I question. have like a jam band that performs regularly during the summer on the block over from me, just in front of their house, and they're in their jamming. Interesting. Um, and they go into they'll go into like nine o'clock because it's still light out uh, during the summer. Yeah. And then and then starting to irk me a little bit by nine o'clock i'm like wrap it up boys you're jam- you've been jamming fish length at this point um <laughs> i don't know if i'm finding I would like an to answer see you here. going out there saying wrap it up boys uh, wrap, wrap it up, up boys. boys i got a baby it's 9 p.m <laughs> daddy's gotta sleep uh dave you live in a much more urban environment than either mm-hmm. patches or i so what's your standard I mean, we basically have no standard. It's very weird. Uh, I still live in an apartment building, too, and it's kind of like a young apartment building off of a light rail stop that goes directly into downtown. So there have been, like, weekend nights where it's, like, 3 a.m., and I'm like, that's that's closing time by Supersonic. I think they're wrapping it up. You know, like, that sort of <laughs> um, mentality. But I think, like, the weirdest thing that ever happened to us um, here... Uh, me and java that made us even less likely to complain is we were out of town one time and our smoke alarm started going off we got like an email from our landlord being like hey the housing or the the, like the housing company says that your alarm's going off and they don't have a key and we're out of town and we're like we're out of town uh as well and they're like all right we'll just turn it off when you get back we're like we're coming back in like three days this isn't going to be a problem for anyone they're like uh it'll probably be fine sure enough we came back and it was like deet Oh my god! I was just like, "What the fuck?" So ever since then, um, I've just shut up about it. Wow. Yeah, you guys were the monsters for that 
no, nobody's ever said anything we once like I, I apologize to the head of the housing board or whatever and he's like people have headphones and i'm like if you would have told me that if i was complaining i would have called you an asshole but thanks mr housing guy you are so, in an impressively chill building yeah but uh i do think that if it what if it's an outdoor rock music event i think those are like you and far enough in between that you should probably shut your mouth about it. This was my yeah, thought. Like, like this bought, is not like it was three nights. You bought the house near this venue, right? I mean, like if you well, bought no, a house I mean, near it was the like, train track, you wouldn't complain about the train coming. I by mean, it's not a venue normally. Like this is the first time that anyone's done a show on this baseball field, so oh, it's okay. certainly not something Wait, you would expect. And it was, and, but it was three Fletcher nights of it. Oh. Okay, but it was three nights, and everyone knew it was going to be three nights. So like, it's annoying for a couple of nights. They stopped at eleven. They had a hard stopping point. They weren't going to be playing till two a.m. Oh, that's um, good. and it like was, and it was such a big like spectacle. Like we, the night we went, like Yola Tango was the openers. Like they are a well-known band. Like it's exciting for a small city like Durham to be able to host something like this. And I feel like that outweighed the annoyance of being able to hear a concert from inside your house. I think if the parameters are set <laughs> early on, then there is no argument. I think if they said, and it's all about time, right? And it's all about. It were hard out 11 a.m. No encores, no drunken people roaming at like 2 a.m. It's like the it's the the spillover effect of loud stuff mm. happening that gets even more annoying. That like it can't. Yeah, wrap you wouldn't get up. that this far into my neighborhood. Like that that's only going to happen in the area where they're used to more like actual in your, like, in your neighborhood. Action. What are you hearing? We can hear the concert, Ace. like the sound. Tra- <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can hear the vocals like the sound traveled really well in my neighborhood. We're just far enough off of the like, you know, area where their bars are that no one would like come walking past our house. Those to beautiful get to their Durham car. trees have amazing acoustics. It sounds just bouncing around. I guess so. Uh, I mean, it was great. We sat on our porch and listened to like two more free nights of the show after we went. Like, that's awesome. Bonus. Um, are you ready for my next question? Please. Yeah. All right. I was out with my friend. And was talking to her about like someone who she has a crush on from a T like like an actor who she's been following and been like, you know, and then I had to like look up their age because like if they were like 21, I was going to feel really rude about it. Like I was not okay to have a crush on this person, but like they're 30 and it's fine. And I was like, is there an age at which it is someone who is an adult? Like we're 18 is we're not talking younger than 18, Mm -hmm. but we're not where you as someone who is never going to meet this person will never communicate with them. Where it is inappropriate for you to have a crush on them. As it like they are a famous person who you who has no idea you exist. I kind of think that there shouldn't be. I, I will agree. It it really depends on what you mean by crush. If you yeah. mean like crush like the traditional sense, absolutely. I think it's free game because I have control over my, you know, emotions and actions. Yeah, and how not are we going defining crush? Harass here? anyone. I think I mean I think it's up for debate. Like I think it's someone who like you look at their Instagrams and you're like, oh, like, you know, you let your, you indulge in the like, oh my God, like I'm really swooning over that person. Like you think about them, you look up their other work, you like invest in them. I think if you contact that person in any way, the parameters yeah, change. Whoa. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's not always bad. Like if you're tweeting like fan art about somebody, like that's fine. But I think if that person is 20, that's different. But I think if it's all happening in your head, I don't think there's rules about that. As long as they're an adult. Be clear. Oh. Yeah, I think so. I, 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 I mean, I think that especially now with like internet people, uh, I trust their ability if they're celebrities to set up digital boundaries uh, almost as much as I trust myself to not cross those digital boundaries. So mm-hmm. like, yeah, if I'm like 
following Florence Pugh on Instagram because she is both attractive and cute and like funny. I don't feel bad about it because she is also younger than me. Yeah. And like if you're not leaving creepy comments on her Instagram. Yeah. Wow. Then... And then I've, I've been through the I've been through the like the fucking the 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 tribunal because I was like, you know, covering Amazing Spider-Man 2 and being like Emma Stone's really cool. And then all of a sudden I was like, it was me and her in the elevator. And I was like, do you say anything? And I was like, no, no. And I was like, hey, good. Nice day. Huh? And she was like, yes. And I think that was the extent of like what we said to each other. <laughs> Oh, so God. like talking as long to, as you talking could... to celebrities in like a real place is the most icky in an elevator I don't even want to talk about your work because you're just a person in an elevator at this yeah. point. I don't even so say anything. Just say nice day. I wouldn't yeah. talk to yeah. anyone else in an elevator. Um, <laughs> if you if you've been like coming from the same event, you would talk to someone in, like you clearly you guys were in the hotel for the same reason. Yeah, and she was in pajama pants, so it wasn't like, you know, a really formal situation it was just two people in elevator and i said nice day anyway not the important thing is you got to control yourself but i don't i don't be cool man I don't, just be cool i yeah i don't i think it's a little bit too much towards thought crime if you're just like no looking at anybody more than x amount of years away from you wow uh within reason I obviously a, i guess i have a lot of thoughts on this they're disparate thoughts and mm. they're not fully formed but i mean obviously at polygon i feel like a younger generation has embraced crushing openly uh, in a different way, we talk a lot about crushes at at Polygon, mm. and you will find okay. you will find written content, and and that is very fun uh, about crushing uh, at at Polygon, and it's not something that came naturally to me or my understanding of things, mostly because I'm like a cis man who's like, I feel like I was in my twenties when we decided no man shall talk about sex or attractiveness or like you cannot find anyone attractive do not talk about how hot you think natalie portman is and certainly at least not in the workplace context i guess not yeah no but like and, and the workplace context would context would extend i guess for me to um to like social media and that sort of thing i would never gush yeah definitely i wouldn't be like well actually now and that i feel like the tides have turned a little bit i think i could be like natalie portman you're extremely attractive and i continue to crush on you for 20 years uh, and now that you're in the Thor trailer with super muscular arms, it's like a whole new level of crushing on Natalie Portman. Um, I think I could say that. In fact, I just did on the podcast. Um, <laughs> I think I could get away with that these days. We're coming around and being okay with just like being attracted to beautiful things. Uh, my other thought- People. When, There's when you, people. 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 That's what you're looking yes, for. Yes. I, I, again, I'm trying to couch it all in a way that doesn't make it objectifying. I'm like, you know- I think we just went through this very difficult time of object objectifications coming from men to women and, and pop culture itself objectifying women so hard that we couldn't even talk about that. And now women, I feel like, have led the charge about crushes and crushing and attractiveness and it's kind of opened it back up in a, in a positive way, just like what the crush means. Uh, when you were describing just like, it's just in your head, it's just in your head. My mind did go to John Hinckley Jr., who crushed hard oh. on... <laughs> Jodie Foster just in his head <laughs> to the point where he tried to kill Ronald Reagan. Um, so I feel like just in your head. Where's the, where's the, where's the downside in what you just described? <laughs> wow. I, you know what? You not me on there. Uh, I mean, we tried, tried, tried to kill Ronald Reagan. We're, we're not supporting assassinations That's the downside on podcasts. Yeah, no, clear. I'm not, not me. No, I'm not. I'm not uh, John Hickley Jr. out of jail. Uh, just long run.
Uh, yeah, no, he, uh, that was <laughs> all in his head. Song, right? <laughs> that was all in his head. And, um, you know, I'm assuming go, that you are a, like, in their own head. mentally well-balanced adult who understands the boundaries between someone who you have a crush on yeah. and reality. I, I mean, say... I was thinking about Timothy Chalamet, actually, because, like, Call Me By Your Name, he was, like, 20, maybe? Yeah. Like, he was really young, and I definitely, when that movie came out, being like, should I find him cute? Like, is this weird? And, like... I kind of eventually came around to being like, eh, it doesn't matter. Uh, and now I don't really think about it because, like, you know, crushes are fleeting and there's a nature of things. Like, ideally, you, like, get excited about somebody, you, like, follow them for a while, right. and then you move on to something else. I think this raises a, a, a similar question, a extended question, which is, like, <clears throat> do you follow people on Instagram who are not your friends? And I don't Some. so much, and I, I, I feel like that's a danger zone. Danger zone. Uh, mm. hello. You know from uh, danger zones. No, it's not a danger zone. It just feels like I don't know what what I'm doing when I. So after Uncut Gems, I was so kind of like mesmerized by Julia Fox and her whole shit that I was like, I'm gonna follow this woman on Instagram because it seems like her entire life is Instagram, and it felt weird because I didn't follow many people. I don't. I just don't follow many people on Instagram. But that's so many people. That's so many celebrities' existence. Like they got off Twitter. And they just do Instagram, you know, goop and the Gwyneth Paltrow of it all. Like Instagram is sure. the ecosphere for that kind of celebrity. And sometimes we just want to follow celebrities and we want to see what weird shit they're up to or like what they're promoting. It's it's it is a, it's entertainment in itself. And uh, so I followed Julia Fox. And for a while, it was really weird because she was just going to all sorts of places and like dressing up and all. I like fashion stuff. I like seeing what she's wearing. It's weird. Um, and I think it's I, weird. No, yeah. no, no. I'm sorry. Well, like, it can be weird in a good way. What she is wearing is way. weird. Yes. yes. What she's wearing. Yes. Is no, not the. She wore, she wore a dress with a neckline that looked like a gloved hand grabbing her I neck. Saw for Oscar at, Perry, I saw so, yeah. I definitely saw yeah. it. Uh, I recently had to yep. unfollow her because I thought after the Kanye of it all, she, like, spiraled out of control and now it's more tabloid than it has been. More, like, it's less authentic, more tabloid. Um, and that's when I quit, I guess, my crush, where I was just, like, enamored by her. And I find her to be a beautiful person. I just wanted to, like, look at pictures of her. But here, my other thing is, like, is it pornographic? Like, is this a, just a form of pornography? A crush? Is a crush, like, part of mental masturbation? What is that what we're describing I mean, again, here? Uh, nothing, nothing wrong with that if that is no, what pleasure. it is. No, it's pleasure. Like, I used to, <clears throat> back, back in my day when I got started blogging, I would be, remember being in meetings when I was working for, like, gossip blogs that was like, Dave, we really like your content, but you're not talking about the actual bodies of the women whose photos were publishing enough. And I mm. kept being like, well, that feels kind of gross. And they're like, well, that's why people come to the site. So get the fuck on I it. I gotta agree and with them. I mean, if they have an editorial mission and you're not abiding, get out. That's well, true. Well, but now we've, 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 I mean, I, I did what I was told and take editorial guidance, but uh, now we've sort of moved beyond that era of the internet, the like intense paparazzi uh -huh. So now you are patches following someone on Instagram who's curating her own content, and you know that it's easier for people to do that that way. And I feel a lot less hesitant about that because it is 100% approved by them. And yep. It's how they're doing their whatever their job is includes you uh, looking at uh, photos of them in dresses you like. Well, I had to uh, let Julia Fox go. I guess I'm on the prowl. I'm. Uh... Yeah. D Find that new Instagram crush. DTL. Down to look. 
There January are Jones, very, baby. <laughs> oh, not oh, enough men I can't who use Wait, Instagram in a way on. that would allow for a crush. January Jones. Jan Let's talk about January Jones for one second. Oh my god. The person oh I would god, never follow. Episode part two. The, the person I would never follow because I don't know. I just wouldn't want someone to see that I follow January Jones because it would be so obvious why I follow January Jones. It's just like she's a, a beautiful woman on Instagram. She's constantly why would in her bathing suit in, in her pool. And I'm like, what are you doing? What is this? Torture. Shouldn't feel it's ashamed of wanting to follow January Jones on Instagram. Yeah. All right. I'll it's like it. I could do that, and then she doesn't have to ruin an X Men movie. It, it's like the best of both hey, worlds. I, that mm -hmm. wasn't her fault. That was an underwritten part. Fair. But also, you know, she was in her underwear and turned into diamonds with perky boobs. I love so, my you know. wife. I love she my wife. I just want to say that. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's how all segments should end. When we get to the point where Patch is like, I need to, I just want to make clear I really love my, I love wife. my life. <laughs> I want to see how how he ramps the next one up to that level. I'll be saying that at the end of our Chip and Dale review. Well. Yeah, absolutely. Through the cracks, but these two gum shoes are picking up the slack. There's no case too big, no case too small. When you Guys, something really weird happened this past weekend, which is a Disney Plus movie, not in theaters, only on Disney Plus, called Chippendale Rescue Rangers came out, and uh, it really surprised me as uh, I was a fan of the Disney Afternoon and have uh, sung previously the praises of the DuckTales reboot. So I know these properties can be rebooted, but this Chippendales Rescue movie starring John Mulaney and Adam San Andy Samberg as uh, Chip and Dale is its own thing entirely. I would not classify it necessarily as having anything to do with the Rescue Rangers of Disney Afternoon, although it treats that as a reference. This is much more in the vein of a Who Framed Roger Rabbit spiritual sequel, which maybe begs the question of who this is for. Uh, luckily, um, well, my co-hosts have children. Yeah, us it's and not our for, children. <laughs> it's not for. I don't think it's for our children. I mean, maybe. Uh, yeah, Katie, you'll have to explain if it is for children. But it's definitely for you, Dave. For people who grew up on the Disney afternoon lineup in the '90s, this is this is not for. This is not rebooting Rescue Rangers for the next generation. I think if if you go back and you look at this project's development in the mid 2010s, they wanted to make a genuine rescue Rangers movie. I think those chipmunks or Alvin and the chipmunks movies, the squeakwills uh, really inspired mm. Disney to, which look... also get a shout out. In <laughs> they movie. certainly do. Um, I think those inspired Disney to reconsider Chip and Dale as, as like a thing. You could just do a big movie, a normal movie. Like they would just be CG characters going on an adventure. Um, but at some point they gave up. Probably for good cause. Uh, the market diminished for that level of blockbuster, I would imagine. We don't see too much of it going into theaters anymore. Um, and, and they decided to What level just blockbuster? Let... Like children's animated movies? The live-action hybrid, specifically. I see. Like okay. the Marmadukes okay. and the Garfields and the, and the Squeak Wolves. Oh, Marmadukes. I mean, we did watch Tom one? and Jerry recently Tom for and this Jerry. podcast. Yeah, I guess we Tom and Jerry... We did watch Tom and Jerry for this podcast. ...would have gone to theaters in a, in a different world. Uh, but we live in the different world. Uh, yeah, so so we got this movie instead. Um, but it is baffling. I don't have has Disney done anything 
like this ever before just skewered themselves this hard or let people go this weird playing in their sandbox and apparently also the paramount sandbox this is it's like a hybrid movie they must have gotten some weird Mm -hmm. licensing deal where not only do we get ugly sonic which is an achievement (laughs) bringing ugly sonic from the (laughs) trailers that were banished into the dark place and putting him in this movie and giving him tim robinson's voice uh we'll maybe we'll talk a little more about this but that is that is a fantastic move but there's so much paramount in this movie that i'm wondering like transformers are in it and all the Nickelodeon characters are in it. Phineas and Ferb and Doc McStuffins are all in this movie somehow. <laughs> um, I, I'm fascinated to eventually learn how they kind of all pulled it off. But it is, like you said, a Roger Rabbit amalgamation of Disney and Paramount animated characters of, of a certain millennial youth sector. And I don't know. They go bananas. They, I just don't think there's anything Disney-ish about it. Like, I can't think of something similar that they've done. You mean besides Buena Vista doing Roger Rabbit through Touchstone? In the 80s. Well, I mean... What about, yeah, yeah, what about yeah. Wreck-It Ralph? I mean, this is... Uh, Wreck-It Ralph got close without being, close. I think, too dangerous. But that, was, that one was also kind of anachronistic because Wreck-It Ralph, I think, plays great for a new audience. Yeah. Uh, even if you don't know, and, who that, and the, that's more like, like Ghost from Pac-Man. You don't know who well, Hubert is. You only see exactly. the other characters because he lives in a video game. They wanted to make a, a movie about a video, a character who lived in a video game, and so it's the world is populated around him by notable video game characters. In this case, it's taking Disney IP. It's essentially doing. I was thinking like, yeah, Roger Rabbit is the obvious comparison, but I think that the that millennials just got their own Adams Family or their own Brady Bunch. Where they're like, uh, huh. these are actual dysfunctional IP that are still notable enough. Like, you can't make a real Brady Bunch movie. You can't make a real Adam's Family movie. And eh, maybe the latter you could have. But um, I think Chip and Dale, like, it's so stupid to try and make a Chip and Dale movie that you have to go next level. You have to hand it off to people who loved it but know how to twist it. I This felt like the Brady Bunch movie in a good way. Like, we're poking I think fun that's a great way to put it. At the early 90s lineup at all of animation and yet we're still trying to tell some sort of story and and like the performances are good that's what i love about the brady bunch movie too yeah i think that it has a, a lot of interesting to say interesting things to say about how we uh you know interact with the uh, animation and then it doesn't go quite as far into the mystery elements to say like a roger rabbit uh does but i think because of that is allowed to have like some slightly funnier jokes because everybody doesn't have to be also doing this noir shtick. Mm-hmm. You could have things like Ugly Sonic uh, and whether or not he works for the FBI be like a weird side plot point that sort of uh, drifts in and out. Uh, but I was also surprised how it fits in a way that you could have almost done it with like any animated duo. Uh, like I'm happy they chose Chip and Dale, but I don't think there's anything specifically in here that it had could have been be, Ren and Stimpy. Uh, yeah, exactly. It could it's it's just about two friends coming back together uh after pulling a, you know, Muppet like they they were actors but also animated chipmunks. Oh god, yes, uh, doing we were talk- movies. what we were talking about last week. I guess yeah. we I guess we mentioned that that it tied into the Chippendale mythology when we talked about this last week. <laughs> but yeah, it's um I I I liked it. it. I also feel like by the end it was very close to sort of <laughs> wearing out it's it definitely welcome. Wore, mm. 
definitely wore out its welcome for me. It's really funny in the beginning, and then it gets more and more into like, oh, we should solve some sort of mystery here. And I felt totally burned out in a in an unexpected way by the end of it. Mm. Not that it's not recommendable, but um, a very lopsided comedy for me. This is this well because the the plot is not enough to sustain <laughs> them, and they're not that interested in the plot as it goes along. Well, let, let's back up or, because who's who, we haven't yeah. really talked about who they handed this movie off to, which was Lonely Island. You mentioned yeah. that Andy Samberg is one of the voices, but it's directed by Akiva Schaefer, who has done all of the Lonely Island stuff, essentially. Uh, he, he directed The Watch, which not a lot of people remember. With uh, God, that's the first one you were going to bring ben up? Stiller. I guess he directed Hot Rod. That's a better, <laughs> that's a more applicable thing. I'm like, did he direct McGruber? No, that was Jorma. Um, did he direct um, he Popstar? Popstar? Or he was did that... direct Popstar. Okay. Yes. yes. I don't know. I, the Watch is a movie that sticks to my craw because it's just like, that was our prime time of getting into this biz and, it's such a weird movie that no one remembers. It has Jonah Hill, it has Vince Vaughn, it has Ben Stiller. Um, I never saw that movie. That was his step up, and then his, he slowly stepped down again. Uh, Pop star, I suppose. But uh, yeah, this is Pop this is a masterpiece. Like, what are you talking about? It is. It's really fucking good. I rewatched it recently. That is uh, that sustains itself too. Like the, the parody of it. Yeah. Sustains itself. I don't feel like Chip and Dale keeps the parody of it all going like the gags don't sustain themselves. I needed and this is a weird thing to say with Chip and Dale which I needed more references. I needed more skewering of Hollywood. When it actually goes into and Roger Rabbit is really successful in doing the actual noir. I want to know what the mystery is. I want to see them go down mm. the rabbit hole if you will. Um mm. whereas this one the mystery is not good enough and I think you could have made it good enough. I'm actually reading um between a very little time that I have, Patricia Heisman wrote a book about writing mystery. Uh, I'm trying to look up the title on the fly here. Uh, it's called Plotting and Writing Suspense Fiction. And wow. I would highly recommend this book to anyone who is interested in just like how stories work or ever wanted to dabble in story writing or like mystery writing. Um, because I, I obviously, as I mentioned two weeks ago, I'm mainlining murder she wrote so i kind of wanted to be like how did they put this all together i had just watched uh dark water or dark water deep water um deep water smith adaptation <laughs> that we talked about a few weeks ago and i was like i'm in full mode. This, and this book is fascinating just like really gets into how do you plot how do you build suspense and i weirdly i think chip and dale and this is totally overthinking it because a lot of people have just <laughs> sat back and enjoyed this movie on disney plus for all its references and shit and I really want to know how your kids thought of it, Katie, if you, if you watch it with kids. But, like, it does not have a good enough suspense plot. It does not have a good enough mystery. And the weird part is they rope in this woman, uh, the actress. Kiki played, Lane? Kiki Lane, of course. Kiki Lane, who's, who joins the team as, like, an LAPD officer. She is not good in this movie. And she is, like, a tonal, like, it drags it all down when they team up with her to solve the mystery. The mystery is bad. And I didn't think it could derail a movie like this so hard, but it does. Like halfway through, it gets not funny. Uh, I just think it's not written like a mystery, which might discount the the book uh, side of it. But it, there was a moment uh, where I was I I started this movie on the TV and lured Java in eventually, just because it's very clever right from the drop. Uh, but there was a point where I sort of like paused and I'm like. 
do we think she's the bad guy? Is she like a tune in disguise? Because that would make sense with the thing because there's this whole red herring about how the rescue rangers actually didn't air in the town she grew up in, even though she's supposed to be a huge rescue rangers fan. Mm -hmm. And then there's a plot with uh, Dale is collecting the pog set and he's missing the slammer, which they don't call a slammer. They just call it pog. They don't explain why it's metal, but whatever. That's bullshit. Um, yeah. And then really Depends early up. on, we see that, you know, Chip has a slammer and I'm like, oh, well, obviously, you know, Chip has the missing slammer, the collection that Dale's missing. That's piecing together. But I can't place this. I can't take all the plot threads and sort of see where they're going to like rope together. And the, in the end, the fact that Rescue Rangers wasn't broadcast where she grew up is inconsequential. She's that exactly was, who she's pretending to be. That was weird. Yeah. So there's uh, like the back end of this wants to be who framed Roger Abbott so bad that it has a mystery. But I think the narrative sort of putters out once it tells the joke that it's an aging Peter Pan that's behind this. And then the rest of the movie just sort of pushes the things that it's introduced uh, to its logical end. And then at the very end of the movie, there's a chase scene that takes us through some uh, bootlegged animated movies that once again shows they had more in the tank. They just sort of gave up at the in the middle of act two of uh, going really hard on the Hollywood parody uh, to do like a little, I don't know. It's like that part in the romantic comedy where they break up and we're supposed to feel bad for them, but Rescue Rangers doesn't have enough juice. I don't remember uh, giving up on the Hollywood pair. Like maybe I'm just like skipping over that part in the middle that you're talking about, but I feel like the plot doesn't like it does peter out after a while, but I don't remember the parody elements giving up the same way. And also like I watched it with my kids, which meant that I had to like get up and do shit in the middle of it, so I might have just <laughs> missed. Now that is a and also that helps it with kids. That helps uh, making, I think I talked about this movie with Jungle Cruise where I watched it with my kids, but like in like four chunks right. because that was how we watched it. I was like, it's great. I never got tired. I watched it in like, like four half hour segments. So uh, it's very possible to help with this. Although I think this movie is very genuinely funny, like you guys are saying. Yeah, let's, let's talk yeah. about funny bits. I feel like this movie, I was laughing a lot, uh, especially in the first half. And uh, a lot of it has to do with with John Mulaney and Andy Samberg playing Chip and Dale and like having squeaky voices that they opt out of in, in real life or, or they are putting something on when they're on the show and then they're just acting normal, I guess, a lot of the time. I love that uh, Chip has a little house and he has a big dog. <laughs> I, just, I just love society that they've built for the tunes in this movie. It feels well conceived. They took my idea for the Uncanny Valley being a place uh, from my, uh, I wrote for a long time ago, uh, something called The Pitch for a website that's now gone called Crave Online, where I was like, here's what Roger Rabbit 2 should be. It should be Roger Rabbit 2, the Uncanny Valley. Mm -hmm. And instead of uh, Dale getting a makeover, it would be Eddie Valiant, who, who had become like a CGI character uh... and was... Had become, uh, was now living alongside Roger, and the joke was the ultimate villain was a performance capture, ca capture character you couldn't tell uh, was a human, like it actually started passing. Uh, this one doesn't go as far, but does use the Uncanny Valley joke, and as soon as it happened, I was like, damn it! It was such a good idea. I knew we were going to get there. Of course, the Uncanny Valley is in California and close to Hollywood. Like, it makes, makes complete sense. What do you think Seth Rogen was supposed to be from? Beowulf? Uh, 
the Mechus version. Yeah, Beowulf. God, that was fun. I mean, as I as the animation jokes just kept piling on top of each other, like the like that guy, and then all of the like the other residents of the Uncanny Valley, or even just like the like way too friendly like Muppety town that they walked down before. And I just kept thinking of Dave and how like Dave in some ways has like taught me to spot what it means to look at animation in that way. And uh, I hope that it. Uh, please him as much as it pleased me to watch on on that yeah. note uh dave talk about the 2d animation in the movie a little bit because it's not the 2d animation that you would see in a chip and dale's rest rangers episode like they're they're, yeah. they're animating on on different beats or it almost feels like the spider-verse style for how they render chip but it's it's not like are are we doing cheaper animation different animation like what what has changed in this, 2D? Why doesn't it look like... Why can't they recreate what Chip and Dale look like? Mm, I mean, they can, but I don't think it's going to move or interact in a way that they want it to. There is a part of this film where they transition from the actual cartoon to the models, and you could see what they were going for. Uh, but the main difference is, you could also see at the beginning, some of the 2D characters, where they're doing the high school flashback, as you, like walk past them you could see they're sort of like actually on a 2d plane uh so it's like a a flat character tilting towards you more than it's something rotating whereas like uh chip even though he's supposed to be a 2d character doesn't have never looks flat he always looks like he's somewhat drawn it's because the process is something that's now referred to with all the animation software as paperless traditional animation so you're still drawing it but you're drawing it in a vector program which means you could scale up and scale down without losing any sort of uh, fidelity. So you're, it's never going to really look hand-drawn, uh, but it could pull off all the motion because you're essentially just uh, moving the boundaries of lines, which are data points on a grid. So it doesn't look like it's... I mean, Roger Rabbit looks really like he's supposed to, I think. Uh, they got one of the animators from the first movie to come back and do that little oh, wow. bit. Nice. Uh, so I think like that's the look that you could do, uh, but this new look, this sort of vector paperless uh, 2D animation, is 2D. Yeah. Um, but I think it's having it, it's having the it's having the frames. Um, it's interpolating the computer's interpolating between two frames rather than each one of those needing to uh, be drawn. Which is, you know, just another look. Yeah, but I think it's not it, bad. It, I just think for my weaned on Disney animation from the 80s and 90s brain, it just, it will always look kind of out of place. It'll always look different. It'll always yeah. look, my mind immediately goes to, are they doing this cheaper, but that's not fair or right? Mm. Um, it's just like, I can sense the difference and, I, and I'm always going to be cautious. Uh, but for the yeah. younger generation, when they see the new vector TUD animation, they won't give a shit. So, yeah. Well, also, so someone was asking me on Twitter earlier uh, how much they're cheating with like famously Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It's all practical effects, and then they're just animating over it. This movie, luckily, you have Chip, who is you know quote unquote 2D, but can exist in a 3D computerized space. You have Dale, who entirely exists in a 3D computerized space. You have scenes in their trailer where I bet nothing's real because we've gotten good at making plastics, at making, you know, tiny versions of real life things. Uh, so I think most of what people would see as CG in this movie is actually prop, uh, props and prop replacement. Um, but 
answer a question that I don't know. I think we asked at the beginning of the se- segment. Uh, the visual effects for this movie are done by a company called Moving Picture Company, who is the same company that did the animation work for Sonic the Hedgehog, ah. meaning they had a model all saved up and ready to go. Of Ugly all Sonic. they needed was approval from the Sonic the Hedgehog movie awesome. to bring Ugly Sonic uh, back to cinemas. I have to or imagine, to cinemas for the first time. I have to imagine every Paramount cameo beyond Ugly Sonic is just some sort of deal that they made uh, to get Ugly Sonic in the movie. It's so... Oh! Ah! I have one businessy detail to share, which Please. is that in uh, Matt Bellany's newsletter, he's at Hawk News and he used to be at The Hollywood Reporter. I'll just this, I'll read this paragraph. I'd heard that former Disney CEO Bob Iger had to read the script and okay the new Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers movie, which seemed odd for a Disney Plus reboot of a B-level franchise. Then I saw the movie and it makes sense. Besides being a clearance lawyer's nightmare with everything from South Park characters to Sonic the Hedgehog, filmmaker Akiva Schaffer makes such liberal and boundary-pushing use of Disney IP that Iger probably winced a few times before recognizing it's actually pretty clever. I don't think there's a single instance that really infracts on, like, Disney legacy. I actually, one of my biggest laughs was when they kidnap Flounder from Little Mermaid um, and <laughs> ship him off to the direct-to-DVD knockoff market uh, dead zone and... They, I don't know. They contort him in such a way that is disturbing and riotous. I, I just thought it was so funny, um, and I wanted to see everyone get blown to bits in that way. Uh, unfortunately, they had to save the day. But uh, yeah, that. But that you know really that like game. Disney, Disney is where it is because it is like mercilessly protected its IP for so long. That's like true. I get the suits needing to look it all over first. Can well, someone? Can, can you guys remind me the context? of the E.T. versus Batman joke, uh, which I, like, stole the show in my house, but I just can't remember why it happened. Oh, it's because uh, Chip is, after being pitched like a reboot from Dale, he is bemoaning the culture where everything's just rehashed and rebooted and mixed, and we get to see Mr. Doubtfire uh, with Meryl (laughs) Streep, and then he's like, E.T. versus Batman, that one looks cool, and he actually (laughs) watches it. Uh, yeah, that, so I tweeted about this, but Charlie, who is five, who watches movies with me, but like half the times wants to watch bullshit on Netflix, um, is like, likes movie references and like spotting references. Like I taught him, I showed him the Rage of the Lost Ark boulder sequence. So now whenever another thing, like lots of kids shows will have someone running away from a boulder for obvious reasons. He'll like, tell me it's a reference and that we watched E.T. for the first time a couple weeks ago and that scene, like he lost his mind. Like the fact that you can do that blew him away. And like that alone was worth us watching that movie together i also really liked how they made fun of baloo <coughs> and how baloo got the cg surgery and uh appeared in the live action <laughs> quote-unquote remake that was that's that's good skewering i i don't feel like there's a false note in the movie and there could be like we're ma- we're part of a giant corporation but we're making fun of a giant corporation i don't think this movie has that misstep at all where I don't know. It feels it feels like too much of a corporate product. Yeah, yeah. I, don't know. I mean, even though it is well, David, David would, D- would Dave would snuff that out more than me. But no, I mean, I, I think uh, Disney's been okay playing in this, like um, allowing some of their artists to have good natured fun with uh, the concept of Disney. It was like the Tim Burton live act, live action, quote unquote, Dumbo. Which halfway through the movie was like, we're done with the Dumbo story. This is a story about Disneyland. Mm. And it's like, oh, God, all right. 
Um, but I think I think they seem really open to that. Uh, and it is probably good because every time they've been very precious about things like what is there is not a Disney princess or, you know, like what characters are allowed to be gay or whatnot. It always backfires. So, I mean, I don't think they're going to allow the uh, trademark on uh, Mickey Mouse to ever expire, but <laughs> it would probably be really good for them if it did at this point, because I don't think uh, I, Disney's such a gigantic conglomerate now and it, you know, is behind, uh, what is it? Bob's Burgers is going to be te technically released through Disney releasing sub 20th Century Fox, which makes it the most recent 2D animated theatrically released film through Disney since Princess and the Frog, right? Yeah. Wow. So the fact that it just like is eating all these things is uh, makes it so ubiquitous that I don't think anyone's going to be hurt by being like, not the Cinderella company, because they're just so much more than that. Wait, quick detour here. Uh, you have seen the Bob's Burgers movie. I have. How, how was it? Uh, pretty good, but also I, I think the end of this season on uh, television was might have been better. That makes it's, sense. Uh, epic two-parter. Yeah, I mean... Bob's Burgers flourishes in the in the micro moments. I'm not sure how you do a, a Bob's Burgers movie. Like, did it does it vindicate itself? Does it vindicate itself? Is it like lavish animation, or is it a big story that needs to be on the big screen? It it does the exact same thing the Simpsons movie does, which is like, hey, if we use more dynamic lighting, uh, we spend more money on animation and it looks better. But I like I think they went a little bit overboard in, in this case. The the climax with the family takes place when they're literally buried, and it is so dark. I don't. Anyway, you guys should definitely watch it for yourself. Dark though, lighting you know or it's not, dark uh, yeah, mood. Dark dark oh, lighting. Okay. I don't think it's a especially dark mood. Otherwise, it wouldn't be fun in Bob's Burgers. This is definitely fun. It's definitely Bob's Burgers. It's just like the plot is, you know, is. Tina gonna talk to Jimmy Jr. And I'm like, I've been watching this plot <laughs> right. for 12 years right. on television. And I it's fun would, uh, on elevate. television, but as a movie, you know. And it's fun in the movie, too. In terms of, like, they have so much more animation budget to make people dance in really uh, eccentric ways, and there is some very eccentric animated dancing that I very much appreciated. Uh, but... I'm sure that's what I, I they think, wanted you to right. have your be your main takeaway. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm so they they should have they should have released it uh, when theaters were closed. This would have been a perfect straight to streaming like Chip and Dale, you know, just good enough to put it on and have a good time. Not maybe good enough to go out into the well, infected world. The Alamos and, around the country have a great Bob's Burgers menu. So that might have been half the reason. Hey, mm. Also good. I do uh, I do like uh, Bob's Burgers uh, food. Yeah, exactly. And there is some food at the beginning of this of this movie. Here, here's my uh, Chippendale wrap up question: Does this seem like a good trend for how to treat? So at the end of the movie, here's a spoiler. I mm. uh, I guess uh, Darkwing Duck shows up <laughs> and is like, "What yes. about me?" Um, is that Darkwing Duck's voice? No. Uh, no, but... that's like a more of a Gilbert Gottfried vibe. Oh, R.I.P. Uh, Rest in peace, Jaffa. Um. See, you got it. I guess I'm wondering, is this like what we want movies to be? This just feels like a big inside joke. Like, is there a was there a good Chippendales Rescue Rangers like big adventure movie for kids? 
to have made or is this is this the last thing it's better to be referential and uh cannibalizing ip i i guess for millennial ironic enjoyment could there have been something was to it do the with gamble this? Is this that what they're we making want? that you isn't the gamble that you can do both i guess like, why wouldn't you be able to make a, a sincere chip i think you can i don't you think there's definitely. anything about this movie that makes it impossible to do a sincere chip and dale show like is Darkwing think, Duck well, gonna get a movie like this? Is this is this what all '90s IP well, are yeah, faded I mean, for? First of all, yes, they've announced the Darkwing Duck re- reboot is already in the works oh, at really? Disney Plus. Oh. Uh, that they they started that right after they canceled Ducktales, which I will circle people back to again. If you have a Disney Plus subscription and you're watching Chip and Dale and you're like, "Hey, this is fun. This is like adult and for kids." I, if you want to go to something like DuckTales, it's not a cynical look as much as it is a reboot for people who are both old fans and new. I think the format of the Disney Afternoon could still work because that's just like a children's television adventure format. Does it need, like, I don't think Rescue Rangers was a strong property to begin with. So, like, I think the most money to be made with Rescue Rangers is playing on nostalgia to people like me where it's like they're 20 minutes this movie left where the fuck is gadget hack and wrench she was my favorite you know like i that's that's who it's uh who it's made like, for like, or people like, like me who remember it a little bit and are like oh my kids need something to watch let's watch this together and then are pleasantly surprised and we'll keep a disney plus subscription longer yeah i think it, it, I, don't, I don't think a show would be uh beneficial with this lineup of chip and dale rescue rangers especially because everybody's 2d except for dale and so it's just like what sort of like asset bank are you working with there it seems weird works really good as a standalone movie maybe have a sequel movie i don't know i'm not the geniuses who are thinking about it took us this long to get a who framed roger rabbit sequel so i kind of feel like it's this is not a, a who framed roger idea. rabbit sequel there's no evidence I that it's like there's toontown or something that'd be great i'm just saying i yeah i mean maybe that's that would be a direction to go for it but like yeah, I, I don't see this as kicking off into a future season uh, series. No, no. They already did. They, they already did reboot Chip and Dale in a series of animated shorts, I think, two years ago, uh, where they're both so high pitched and so fast speaking. The point is, you can't understand what they're saying. And I thought those were really cute. So I think you know the the IP is strong, but is Andy Samberg's version ever going to be back again? I don't think so. Well, I'll still uh, hope for my Adventures of the Gummy Bears. Did you, does anyone remember the gummy bears? Anyone? Gummy bears. Yep. Thank you. They popped up in DuckTales reboot. I was just looking up the gummy bears, and apparently Michael Eisner is credited as a creator of the gummy bears television show. And I'm like, wait, what? The CEO of Disney created a television uh, show for Disney television? And the reason is, quote from the Wikipedia, Michael Eisner was struck with inspiration for the show when his son requested the candies one day. Wow. That's great. Do you guys know that there is a like a viral new gummy bear song that's like like more like a European like techno song than anything else? That makes sense. No. That makes uh, sense. I'm setting this up so that David can make it uh, so that Dave can make it the music well, outro break. Oh, oh wow. All right. Forced hand. K- Katie, did you watch any of what was your animated program of choice in like the late eighties, early nineties? Do you have any? I definitely watched Chippendale. Of- I definitely um I watched some Darkwing Duck. I loved um Tiny Toon Adventures. 
Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Or it's our Animaniacs. That's what I'm trying to think of. Tiny Toon Adventures. I watched it, but both, Animaniacs both were good. was both, probably yeah. a big one. But I watched a lot of like Saved by the Bell, like a okay. lot of not you were ahead of us. stuff too. I was immature, but I definitely watched Rescue. I mean, I don't, I, I'm you not were crushing. I was. I was I spent watching. Uh, I was crushing. Yeah, you just had to get. get I was blue balls or something. We're supposed to be listening to a gummy bear song right now. Gummy yeah. bear. <laughs> so that's listen to a gummy bear song and go out. Get ready, guys. Oh, I'm a gummy bear. Yes, I'm a gummy bear. Oh, I'm a yummy, tummy, funny, lucky gummy bear. I'm a jelly bear. Yes, I'm a gummy bear. Oh, I'm a moving, moving, jamming, singing gummy bear. Oh, yeah. Gummy, 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 gummy bear. Gummy. That does it for this week's show. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, tell the people who you are. I am Matt Patches, deputy editor at Polygon, where I'm not really working. So I hope they're doing a great job. Um, clearly, again, I've I've devolved into elder millennial. I have no the culture. Uh, great job, kids. Or what kids are doing. <laughs> um, but yeah, we have a website, fightinginthewomb.com, where I'm very curious if, if there's any other episode where we've mentioned how that I once said if Top Gun 2 happens, I will eat a shoe because clearly Top Gun 2 is happening. I should probably see the movie, right? Has anyone... Dave, you've seen Top Gun 2. You've oh, seen I've Top seen, Gun I've seen Top Gun 2. If I try yeah. and see it this weekend, can we talk about it? Uh, Yeah, maybe? I would love to, I should I would pro- love to talk I should about probably it probably see it. I should probably see it. I've had a real journey. Uh, when this episode comes out, I may or may not have been... I've eaten the shoe. Top Gun 2. But um, I'm curious if within the archives of fightinginthewarroom.com you will find references to this. I would just listen to every episode to find out. Mm, that's, that's a smart way to go about it. Uh, I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can follow me on Twitter at DA7E. You could also follow the other David you heard at the top of this podcast at David Ehrlich. He is a senior film critic at IndieWire, and that, that's his name, David Ehrlich. Uh, you could email all of us at FIT wr.podcast at gmail.com that's also you could send your international reviews and to hear more of this voice that's talking to you right now you could listen to trial by content uh where i'm debating things with joanna robinson and neil miller or uh you could head over to patreon.com slash da70e and neil uh to hear neil miller and i's uh podcast about good movies that's it that's all my stuff uh, I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fair on the Little Gold Men podcast where we had some canned dispatches this week. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. And we're all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R where we'd love to hear what your childhood animated series choices were. Or you can answer this week's like your own question, which was... In honor of Top Gun Maverick, what's cinema's most notable shoe? Thanks for listening and we'll be back talking to you next week.
I'm done.